0: welcome to health tech hustle we exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today we interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story with your host rodney who founder of 209 digital
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Health Tech Hustle Podcast. Today, I'm joined by two very special ladies, Ms. Madison Campbell and Lisa Vaidya. They are the founders, co-founders of Lita Health, and they are building redesigned tools for survivors of sexual assault. So I'm excited to have them on and kind of pick their brains and allow them an opportunity to share their story and share what they're working on in the space. in the space. So with that being said, ladies, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having us. We're super excited to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah so Thank you a,
2: for having us.
1: Like, yeah. So let's just jump into it. Why don't you start, Madison? Just give a brief, brief background of who you are and kind of how you got into health tech, and then after that, just throw it over to Lisa. Give a little. Yeah, bit of, of
2: course. Um, so my background is in epidemiology. So you know, population-based health and creating innovation has always been something that I've been super interested and excited about. Um, But unfortunately, when I was in college, like one in four other women in college, I was sexually assaulted. So, you know, I, I sat with that trauma for a long time, but I've been able to take that trauma and actually be able to, you know, start this company alongside my magnificent, most amazing, you know, other half, Liesl. Um, in being able to create the first ever at-home sexual assault evidence collection kit. But Liesl has an even better story than I do. Um, and, and Liesl, off to you. <laughs> uh, she she hypes me up uh, too much, but um, hey
0: everyone. My name is Liesl Baidea and my background is in software engineering. Kind of backtracking off um, to my background. I was actually born and raised in Kathmandu, Nepal, on the other side of the world, so you know, growing up, I I had this whole experience of seeing how what resources are available in developing countries, and sort of when I came here and started learning about what currently is available um, for survivors in the United States, and seeing so many gaps and um, the lack of innovation in this space, kind of really, kind of really, you know, got me thinking, okay, why exactly hasn't there been innovation in the space? And when I met Madison, um, and, you know, she, Madison is amazing. She is the most, Madison is the best salesperson or even, you know, she's just like a visionary in general. But when I met her and when she pitched me the idea for this company, um, I was like, I am 100% in, this needs to be done. And that's how we got started.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And I remember before we even recorded this podcast, you kind of gave a brief background on the company. And what stood out to me is the attention that you guys got when you originally tried to get your message out. And it wasn't as planned. So I kind of want you guys to cover that and share your experience and share what happened.
2: Well, when you start a company, any company, I don't think anyone realizes that people are going to pay attention to you, right? You're, you know, you put up a Squarespace website, you put a little bit of information about what you want to accomplish, what you're building. And, you know, our perception was, my parents will read this um, and they'll finally know that, you know, their college uh, money that they spent did not go to waste. Um, But other than that, like, you know, college friends and my parents reading this, I did not expect, or we did not expect Anybody to ever pay attention to anything that we did, right? We are this two, you know, woman team um, in a very small Brooklyn office. You know, don't even have our own enclosed office, right? We have two desks, you know. We have two desks in this massive, like, you know, office pile. You know, got into this amazing program, so we we didn't have to pay because we had no money, and then the world blew up. Um, So. So what ended up happening and, and you know what, I'm going to tell you something I don't tell a lot of other people, but this is the actual story of how it happened. So everybody was at Burning Man. Are you familiar with Burning Man?
1: I'm familiar. Never been, but I'm aware.
2: So, so Burning Man happens actually, you know, late August, early September and all of Silicon Valley, so many people, they go, they go to the desert, and I did not go to Burning Man, right? I was not cool enough. I didn't go to Burning Man, and so I was sitting in our office, and no one was there. No one was working. Everyone was partying. Everyone's having a good time. Um, and I decided, you know, okay, well, I'm I'm going to take all this time and actually put it towards you know the company, right? While everyone's away, I'm going to do something for the company. So during that time, I sent an email out to every single college president in America, all within a matter of 36 hours. And Liesl will tell you what happened after that. Um,
0: You know, this kind of justifies when I said that Madison is an amazing salesperson, but so yeah, so in a matter of 36 hours, she emailed every single college president in this country. And what happened was one of those emails went to Michigan State University the home of Larry Nasser. Um, and I don't think that they were happy that they received an email saying, hey, we would like to donate some sexual assault kits to your university. Um, and what ended up happening was they forwarded that email to their attorney general, who then the very next day issued us a cease and desist letter, and she also went to you know the media and this, uh, this whole press around um, our company and went to every single attorney general in the United States. And they all came after us. So by the end of, you know, the first month, um, we had 16 cease and desist letters, five subpoenas, and 16 members of the Congress wrote to us. And this was like at the beginning of starting our company uh, when we essentially had an idea and a Squarespace website up.
1: Hey, interesting. Well, there's one thing that you could take from that is that the hustle actually got you some opportunities, right? (laughs) But it wasn't the ones that, it wasn't the attention that you wanted, but I respect the hustle nonetheless. But you guys are getting all this backlash from the media, from a bunch of other members, important members, scary members, people with authority. And so that was very early on in the stage right so how did you guys overcome that at what point did you guys say okay we're at the bottom now we're getting momentum going forward
2: started from the bottom now we here um you know like <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, i love drake yeah you know so one um all press is good press um you know i think that's important to note and when you do hustle that hard right um You know, there there sometimes will be things that you don't expect, right? Um, But with that came also amazing things, right? You know, the mere fact that every news article, you know, every attorney general kind of started having conversations with us, put our name out there, right? Think about so many companies, so many legislators, so many policy advocates who try to get meetings with these folks and are unable to get meetings with these folks or even know the right people to talk to suddenly all of a sudden we have direct access to exactly the people we need to talk to you know now they have to talk to us right um, you know we're on their radar and so you know we've we've taken it and we've been able to kind of redefine our focus taking a lot of the critique and feedback but also realizing that you know we are talking about a highly political You know, topic which for a very long time, unfortunately, um, has not been addressed by the US government. And when you go and address something that the US government has ignored for far too long, you don't expect them to say, Oh my God, thank you so much for picking up where we fucked up. You expect them to say, Oh my God, who are you? And what are you trying to do? You guys are going to make me look bad. (laughs) Um, You know? But we, out of all the press, we were able to get, you know, investors um, who were early investors in Uber um, and other, you know, regulatory, high regulatory companies. Um, So, you know, not only closing investment round, but also closing, you know, different universities um, and figuring out, you know, who are going to be our early adopters, who are really going to fight for this and finding a key set of audience members who believe in what we're doing. Um, and And believe that you know for far too long there has not been another solution, and that they they trust in us to be that other solution.
1: Interesting. So I like that. So you guys had an idea, you created a product and you wanted to get it out, but the way that you guys did it, it kind of backlash, but what it did was propel you into that next level and got you exposure that you guys needed in order to be pushed in the right direction to make the connections and build the relationships and network to create more opportunities, right? Um, But I kind of want to backtrack a little bit, because I have a question. You said you had like your own sexual assault experience, right? And then from there, you started this company. And so like, what kind of gave you guys the courage to be like, hey, we had this heartbreaking personal thing happen to us, but instead of let it hold us back like you hear so many stories of it doing to people you women were just strong enough to be like you know what let's turn this into a full-on company let's see how we could help the world so i respect that but i want to understand where your courage where that inspiration comes from
2: yeah i mean it was hard right it wasn't easy um turning your trauma into a company um is probably the most challenging thing and to any listener's that are thinking about how they can, you know, turn their trauma into a company. It's very hard because, you know, not only do you have to address your trauma and get the courage to address your trauma straight on, but every single moment of your life has to be now about, you know, reliving it, right? My day-to-day is talking about my sexual assault 11 to 12 times a day. And, you know, that is, something that I do in the pursuit of getting other people justice. I was not able to get justice. I chose not to report. I was too scared. I was too frightened. Um, I I thought people were going to blame me. I didn't think anyone was going to believe me. So I was not able to get justice. But what I really sat and thought about was what does justice mean for me? Does it mean, you know, making sure that he he never sexually assaults someone again, that he's in a jail, he's in a prison. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't about that for me. What it was about is making sure that for the rest of my life for anybody who is sexually assaulted, if they would like to get justice, they can. And we can give them the resources I was unable to feel empowered at that moment.
1: Okay. Lisa, you had anything to add to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me it was really more of, you know, if if you don't have your own story, which I don't, um, you almost always know someone else who has. Whether it's a family member or a friend, um, and you know, me being from Nepal, and India being our neighboring country, it's like sexual assault on the other side of the world is rampant, and the resources available and the laws that exist to you know even protect survivors um, is minimal. So when I came to the United States and you know saw this problem, I was shocked at the the lack of innovation. Um, you know the the limited amount of resources that are available and I, I said hey like let's fix this we can do something we can build something there's so many things that we can do in this space um, let's go and build something that actually works that actually survivors use that is actually survivor centric.
1: Nice so it's interesting hearing you guys speak because you guys kind of complement each other very well and like Madison like the visionary, the salesperson, able to articulate a story well. You articulate just as good too, Lisa. but you're more of the tech background, I remember you saying. And so I'm interested to hear more about like your day-to-day responsibility and the teams that you're working with and like your process of going about creating this and getting it out there. How was that for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, I, I do about just about everything because we're still early on. So wearing all sorts of hat, you know, be it technical or product-related, operational, uh, or anything else, uh, even fundraising. Uh, But at the same time, what I mostly focus on and I'm focusing on at Lita is really building our lead solution um, as well as all the other follow-up resources surrounding that. Um, And to kind of, you know, talk about our lead solution, which is the at-home kits, we are... we are building an at-home sexual assault evidence collection kit using both hardware and software technology. Um, right now, the existing resource that's being used in the hospital, the hospital kit, really does not have any innovative technology that they're using. And what we're really doing is, you know, we, we, we've piled, filed patents on a tamper-proof hardware device. Um, we're build, building a software application that is HIPAA compliance. And that's essentially a guidance and reporting tool uh, for survivors. And this entire process is really about making it private, accessible and easy to use and really survivor centric.
1: Oh, okay, okay. And you guys kind of touched on it a little earlier as you're talking and you had mentioned universities, but who else would be like a good target audience? Someone who you can see very, like, taking advantage of this,
2: we think that the military, um for far too long, has had a huge problem um, with dealing with sexual assault. You know, oftentimes people will be on deployment, um being you know, sexually assaulted, unable to collect evidence or unable to feel confident enough to actually file a report, um, or even, you know, we've we've heard from a multitude of individuals serving in the US Marines or Navy who will be stuck, you know, at a naval base, you know, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you know, for months on end unable to do anything because they're in the same ship as um as as their abuser. And so we really think the military is prime for innovation. The Department of Defense you know, states that they do want to make a change. Um, and I believe that LEDA is going to be part of that change.
1: Oh, okay, that's a good, I didn't even think about that. Like it makes sense for like schools and stuff because college, but yeah, you don't even think about military. I mean, as of recently, you start seeing all those reports in the news and stuff and you're like, man, like you don't even, that you wouldn't think of that.
0: Yeah, what I've been saying is also, you know, the pandemic in 2020 has just enforced a lot of resources into motion that were frankly overdue years and years ago, right?
1: Okay. And so we already mentioned a couple of times about the obstacle you face in the beginning, but as entrepreneurs, we know you don't just face one and done. So, what other obstacles, challenges, have you guys faced in your entrepreneurship journey with this company that's really stuck out to you? How did you guys overcome that?
2: I think fundraising is a big obstacle that we've been successful, but also only successful because we failed a bunch of times, right? When we started the company, we were part of an accelerator called Alchemist Accelerator, which is so amazing. They're some of the most helpful kindest people you will ever meet in the startup community and one of the early things that they told us was you know in general um getting funding as a female-founded startup is difficult Mm -hmm. less than two percent of female you know founded companies gets get startup venture funding so we know that the odds were not in our favor right two percent you know that's You know, other than milk, that's not really that great, you know, of, of, you know, a thing to to have 2% of anything, right? Um, But, you know, one of the things that we were also told early on is think about fundraising, right? You're fundraising from people that have a power dynamic. They're oftentimes, frankly speaking, older white guys, right, who have tons of money, tons of clout, been in the industry, you know, for a very long time. And when you look at a lot of these cases of sexual discrimination, harassment, assault, it happens to be with, you know, individuals that are at a higher power, you know, um, a higher standing in life. They have more money, they've made it in their career, and they have that power dynamic to not necessarily treat women as equals. So not only you know, do we have to fundraise, put ourselves out there, which is difficult and in less than 2% of, you know, companies in our range getting funding. So not only do we have that, but we're also a sexual assault company having to raise from some of the wealthiest men, you know, I wish it was, you know, there was more women investors, but there's not a lot from the wealthiest men in the world who happen to be maybe not the best of people right and and they you know so it's a double whammy right i mean we have spent more time than i care to tell you about getting on phone calls and talking about false allegations um we spend 90 percent of our investment calls talking about you know let me paint you a story you see there's a girl she says she's into me and, and you know, he's, he's totally liking it. I take her home. I put some candles on. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm giving her a massage. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so into you. And then, you know, the next morning, she steals my condom and puts it in your kit. And I'm like, man, no one is going to steal your condom, right? Um, you have a higher likelihood of being struck by lightning than having a false allegation against you. And so from an investment standpoint, we have to deal with things that no other company deals with because we have to deal with, you know, a lot of preconceived notions about sexual assault, about discrimination, about, you know, equality, you know, amongst, you know, hey, maybe in 2020, it's not that great to touch somebody without getting consent. I know, crazy, you know, to think that that might be the case, but that is what we have to deal with. And that has been a super big challenge.
1: Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because like I've had other guests on and they share like their challenge of whether they're an international student trying to come into the U.S. or they, their race, they're being judged by their race. But you guys are being judged by your gender, maybe even your age as well, because you guys are younger. But you, just the fact oh, yeah. that no diversity within the people that you're trying to like connect with. And then just the fact that since there is no diversity, those people that you are trying to connect with, they have those different perspectives. And so you kind of have to educate them more than you would like. And so that kind of goes into like a follow-up question for me is like, how are you guys going about educating the general public, educating like your target audience
0: I mean that kind of goes back into you know just in general how much people actually know about sexual assault and what's available right like even even when I first started this company I had to learn everything from scratch I had no idea what a rape kit was I had no idea you know where you would get one I didn't even really know what title IX was in colleges and I went to a U.S. college here for four years, um, so all these little things like we—I had to teach myself, and this is the same thing that we have to do, you know, twenty times every single day. Where we're like, this is the problem, um, this is what exists, and this is how this is the process that you have to go through. And it's shocking that majority of the individuals don't really know what's out there, um, and it's more, you know, this is why it's a big problem because. Most people don't know what's out there, what resources are available, and if you're sexually assaulted, imagine you being in your the most traumatic state, like, mindset, and you actually have to Google, hey, I was sexually assaulted, what are what do I have to do, right? Mm-hmm. And logistically speaking, and being practical, um, you're wasting time, and it's, it's just the amount of information out there, it's confusing, it's a lot, so that's kind of what we're combating. Um And also kind of to when you said that, hey, you know, if with other founders, it's about age and whatnot. We actually do get that, too. We've had we've run into meetings where people are like, so who's the adult in the room? Because we're both 23 and 24 year olds.
2: You Liesl I'm twenty four, you're twenty-five. I know you keep trying to <laughs> you know, pretend I, like <laughs> I think after after like
0: last year, I, I stopped celebrating my birthday, so I don't even know how
1: Okay. Twenty twenty yeah. threw everybody off. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like we're we're somewhere in the twenties, right? Like yeah. mid twenties. No, it was funny. So when the articles came out, um you know, I, I was 23 at the time. Um, and so a lot of the articles were like, you know, Madison, 23 year old founder. And sometimes they would say like 23 and me too, get it. Like, you know, 23 and me, but 23 and me too. Hashtag me too. So, um, it was really entertaining. And now to this date, it's like, I had my birthday immediately after kind of all the craziness happened. Um, but everyone still thinks that I'm going to be 23 for the rest of my life. And frankly speaking, I'm going to love it. It's going to be great. I'm going to roll with it.
1: (laughs) No, that's like one thing I really respect about you guys is like, um, especially just being able to share your story and just like you guys having that courage, like I said earlier, and just taking that leap and turning your trauma into a company, like you said. And Like that takes a lot of guts, especially for your guys' age and just knowing what you guys are getting into and you guys are just keep on grinding. So uh, that's why I wanted to have you guys on. I saw the potential and I knew the value that you guys could bring to the audience because everybody has a story. Everybody can learn from other people's story. And so I'm glad you guys decided to come on and uh, share that.
2: I think one of the most important things um, that I've learned is never dream too big. Right. Um, I think that when I sat down to write all those emails to colleges and universities, I had no idea what would happen. I didn't think anything would happen. But you know, if you don't dream big enough and you don't think in in you know I'm going to go do this and it's going to work and I'll figure it out. Right? If you don't think like that, you're never going to get far. You know, with your startup or with your dream. And so, if you think big. Big ideas, big change, you know, that is really how I believe, you know, startups succeed and thrive is never losing that childlike quality of having a active imagination and knowing that, you know, something can fail, but you're, you will pick yourself up again, and you will make it succeed.
1: Coming up towards the end of this podcast, and uh, we've been talking about a lot of interesting topics around sexual assault, and just how you guys are navigating the healthcare industry with growing a company, being entrepreneur-driven. But I want to end this podcast on a little lighter exercise, something I call the rapid-fire round. So I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions, and you guys just give me whatever you guys come up with. All right? So why medicine Madison answer, and then Lisa can answer. Great. All
2: right,
1: so question number one, favorite book of all time?
2: Uh, Laws of Power by Robert
0: Greene.
1: Okay. Liesl? Oh,
0: uh, I don't have a favorite book, but the current book that I'm reading is the the Uber one, the one with the red cover.
1: <laughs> Uber one. All right. Question number two: Who is the biggest influence in your life or career?
2: My mother. My mother oh. is an amazing woman. Same, like you, you sold an
0: answer from my mouth. My mom. Um, she, she's the reason that I'm here today.
1: Shout out to moms. Okay, and then what is one goal you want to accomplish this year?
2: I want to be at least on one college campus knowing that we're helping sexual assault survivors.
0: Uh, Similar answer, similar vision. I want to ensure that survivors, wherever they are, uh, are able to use resources that we're building by the end of this year.
1: Awesome, and then last one. I know you guys are kind of young, but what advice would you give to your twenty-year-old self?
2: Uh, use protection. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, don't go to Miami your sophomore year. Things will get really crazy. <laughs> don't do that. Um, no, I, I would, I would have told my twenty-year-old self to follow your gut when you meet people and understand who is good and who is bad. I think one of the things that when you're young, you don't realize is you can tell off the bat when someone is a good person and someone is a bad person. If you follow that gut, most of the time it will lead you to success. But there has been far too many times in my life where I have not followed that gut instinct and I have ended up, you know, with people that weren't that great. And so that's what I would tell my 20 year old self is follow your gut.
0: You mean you're now self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you guys are doing. <laughs> yeah. Um I guess my advice to any other twenty year olds would be think of life as a hackathon and you know, just like imagine your best the best version of yourself and just go be that person. Go go build things. Go do things. Great. Do you know build amazing things.
1: Yeah, awesome. I think that's a perfect way to end the episode um that's the end of the questions i mean before we actually end where could people learn more about you guys individually and more about your company
0: we are at lita.co that's our website um also we we just started being active on twitter if you guys want to follow us i am at Liesel by the l-i-e-s-e-l-b-a-i-d-y-a madison
2: what's your twitter handle it's it's called martyr dyson so i'm it's martyr like like literally a martyr m-a-r-t-y-r and then dyson d-i-s-o-n it's a combination of my name madison and and the name of being a martyr which we kind of are (laughs) at this point
1: nice awesome well thank you ladies again for jumping on and sharing your story i'll catch you guys on the next one
0: thank you awesome Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.